Upstairs on the slides, we are at God at War Week 7. Our first slide will be 1 Samuel 15, 29. Are we good? Good. All right. First, um, let's review very, very quickly how we ended last week, because we ended in a rush, because the preacher wouldn't shut up, and therefore we had a short time. God responds to us. God changes things because we ask him to. As in the prayer, or I'm sorry, in the sermon, sometimes no, because God's will is going to trump what our will is in that situation. His righteousness will trump it. His plan will trump it. But God will waltz with us. He will dance with us. He will engage with us. He is not a brutal dictator, as many atheists tend to uh, decree in their books. And we mentioned some of those like God is not dead, uh, the very famous long quote by Richard Dawkins about God being misogynistic, misanthropic, and being a murderous God, and on and on and on. No. In our view, as humans, responsiveness is a virtue. You know, if I say, I love you, we normally expect a return, do we not? We don't, you know, if somebody goes, oh, interesting. Hmm. We, we look upon responsiveness as a virtue to, to the point where uh, you're, you're nice American folk, you're very polite, somebody's trying to pull in and you wave them in. If they don't acknowledge that, just drive in and don't wave at you, you ram them. No, no, you don't. I, you think about it, but you don't do it. The point being, even that, we expect a little. And if, and if you make a horrible mistake, pull out in front of somebody you didn't see or something, they, they beep. What do you do? You go, oh, because that fixes it. If you go, oh. But if you don't do that, you're a horrible person, Right? responsiveness is a virtue to us. When you walk in and say, hello, when, when somebody stands up here and says, hello, church, and three of you respond, you know, eh, we're wanting more than that. And most people will even say, no, we're going to try that again. I don't do that because I figured, no, you've had your shot. <laughs> i got things to do. This is my only gig. This is the only job I've got all week. Let's get this done. It's not paid by the hours, paid by the job. Let's wrap it up. Um, <laughs> Those who hold the classical view of God will sometimes surface a few verses and say, no, wait a minute, he doesn't respond to us. He has this, in the way that you're saying, Patrick, he has this whole long plan which is immovable. And we're going to take a look at a couple of those verses. One is 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29. The glory of Israel, that'd be God, will not recant or change his mind, for he is not a mortal that he should change his mind. Or what about Numbers 13, 19? God is not a human being that he should lie or a mortal that he should change his mind. Now, do those verses negate all the other verses we've looked at over the summer about God changing his mind or God being surprised at the actions of men, trying one thing and then trying another and then suggesting to Moses in one passage, three different things. We'll try this. If that doesn't work, we'll try this. Does that negate all of that? The answer, short answer is no. You never allow 
one passage to negate another passage. Either God speaking about something different into a different situation, a different context, or there's an interpretation of it that we need to work with. For example, uh, there are many denominations that say all you have to do is believe. We believe that you also need to be baptized, correct? We are very strong on baptism here. We do not do formal invitations, and the reason is almost nobody will come forward at those anymore. The culture has changed. There was a time where you'd do a big emotional gen up and you'd sing just as I am for an hour and a half until somebody came forward. I'm looking at you, Jimmy Allen, wherever you are. We don't do that, one of the, and one of the reasons is we think it's rather offensive to try to get somebody emotionally ginned up to make a lifetime decision. We want them to think about this and then make their decision. But the biggest reason is people prefer to do it now in quieter circumstances. That's the culture. You can fight it if you want to. I prefer to say, ah, if that's the way they'll come to Jesus, we'll do that. And so we did baptisms after class last week. I've got two on the schedule, perhaps this week, it looks like, um, but it will be during the week. And you find out on Sunday and you applaud, right? But we still believe in baptism. We're strong on it. We don't go to Romans where it says, if you believe and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved, and say, well, that means the Bible's contradicting itself. We'll say, no, believing and confessing is part of the story. Baptism was assumed to be part of it. And we'll talk about all of that. Well, with this as well, note these verses in 1 Samuel. Take a look at the context of 1 Samuel 15, verses 11 and 35. Yes, that's a big gap, but we're looking at the context. Do you remember my phrase? It's not mine. I stole it from somebody many, many years ago. A text without a context is a pretext. You have to know the context. I'm grieved that I have made Saul king. Hmm. Remember that passage? Because he's turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Of course, the classical view of God would say, well, you knew that before you picked him. Then why are you grieved? You Instead, you'd be saying it's all happening according to plan. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night, until the day Samuel died, he did not go see Saul again. For though Samuel mourned for him, the Lord was grieved that he had made him Saul king over Israel. And it's right in the middle that that passage hit that said, the glory of Israel will not recant or change his mind. A little earlier, chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. You've acted foolishly, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Does it seem like what we do affects what he does? Yes. So you put all that together. So how can you take then chapter 15 and verse 29 and make it mean something completely different? By the way, you might think you're standing up for the faith when you do that, but atheists love that. Because if you're trying to, to play trump card with a verse, that go trump the other verses, then they claim, well, there are mistakes in the Bible and we're being intellectually dishonest. You have to 
be careful that the way we defend the faith does not open it up to more attacks. I don't know if you're, if you stay around Christian people, this doesn't really get you. I, I asked I ask a couple of you once, I said, why aren't you inviting, you know, why, why don't, I wasn't saying you, why, why doesn't the church invite more people to worship? And got this from two different people. They said, well, all my friends I asked, but they all, all my friends already go to church. Fair enough, you live in the middle Tennessee. It's a hotbed of faith. It's six flags over Jesus. I get that. You might want to be aware that there are a whole lot more unbelievers in your area than you know of. According to Pew Research, the latest in our area, uh, nearly a quarter of all people consider themselves nuns. That's N-O-N-E-S, which means not a Christian, not an atheist, not anything. Right here. Atheists listen when we fight, and that's one of the reasons they don't go where we worship. Uh, I know, I hang about them quite a bit. Note the context. Samuel had prayed all night for God to change his mind about removing Saul from the throne. That means Samuel thought God could change his mind. But in this instance, he realized God wasn't going to change his mind. There are times that God has to tell people who are praying to him that he isn't going to do what they want. We just saw that. There are times he has to say, no. How many times in the, old, in, in the book of Psalms did, does the, the psalmist say, you know, God inspiring it, call out to the Lord and he will rescue you. And in Habakkuk he says, not this time. No, it's gone too far. And with, Sam, with Saul, the same way. Take a look at these two passages in Ezekiel and Zechariah, two very unread books in most people's lives. I, the Lord, have spoken. The time has come for me to act. I will not hold back. I will not have pity, nor will I relent. You will be judged according to your conduct and your actions, declares the sovereign Lord. And Zechariah, I had determined to bring disaster upon you and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty. Now take a good look at those. There comes a time where God says enough is enough. Don't we all have that time? In our own personal, where we say, that's it. Maybe you supported a political party again and again and again, and they let you down again and again and again, and finally you said, that's enough. Um, if you haven't, I wonder about you, regardless of what party it is. You keep your eyes open, your head on the swivel, and keep your brain engaged. And you, you start realizing, I'm not, I'm not allying myself to any of these guys. Uh, I'm going to think instead. What, with, your, with your kids? All right, dads. Let's talk to dads. Because moms will engage all day long. Honey, please. Now, honey, honey, the, now, sweetie, the dads will walk in, say nothing, as if they don't even know it's happening for a while. And then suddenly, stop it! And the kid stops it. Dad's had enough. He's come off the couch. That's dangerous. Or in the car, the big hairy arm has come back and started swinging. Doesn't matter who it hits, just somebody's getting hit. 
always, that's the difference between moms and dads. Mom's arms come out to save you in a crash. Like that's going to do it. We have technology now, airbags and everything else, but no. Dad's arms come across the back seat hunting you. That's the difference. Moms love you. Dads, eh. <laughs> they can remember life before you, and it was pretty good, you know. Um, and they can remember how they got you, and they enjoyed that too. So, you know, um, it's all right. They'll make another one. It is only meaningful to God to say he won't change his mind if it's possible to change his mind. Do you get that? If he says, in this situation, do you think you're going to talk me out of this? Because to talk him out of it would have meant he had to leave an unrighteous king in charge of his people. Do you really think I'm going to do that? You think you can talk me into that? You cannot talk God into doing something which goes against his character. Do you remember the country song that was covered by, oh, help me, a Janis Joplin? Um, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? I'm sorry. That goes against the character of God. God doesn't buy German cars. No, that, the point. <laughs> God does not encourage our greed. That's it. By the way, if you have a Mercedes, Great. That's the joke is a joke. God does not encourage our greed. We, you worked hard for it, you paid for it, and that's an honorable thing. But asking God to give it to you is a different thing. Um, we have to be very careful. God can change his mind about a lot of things, but not about righteousness. And God often does change his mind. Have a look at these passages out of Jeremiah, Jonah, and Joel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not will inflict upon it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good. Anybody else getting chills? Right now, when you read our newspapers and see our politicians, and then you realize this? Look at this. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, I love this. I love Jonah. Jonah and I are like this. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still home? You could have saved them without me. That's what he's saying. That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I'm a new, you're gracious. And he's not saying you're gracious and compassionate. He's saying you're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents. Because he, he wasn't happy about it. He wanted people to be destroyed. He came for a good destroying. And there wasn't a good destroying. There was just a saving. And that upset him. How about this one? Even now, declares the Lord, even now. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, don't act sad. Change. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. By the way, it must be said, in Jeremiah, 
in Ezekiel and Chronicles, the last straw with God was often what they did with their children. They killed their children before God called Moloch. He's named in Scripture. They passed them through the fire. There were several ways to do that. One was just to throw them in the fire and burn them. One was to, uh, Moloch often had huge oversized hands, and he was hollow, and you'd start a fire in there, and he'd go red hot, and you'd throw your babies on it. Others was just to ceremonially pass them through like this, and they weren't harmed. There were different ways, but this is all to the god Moloch. And God said, no. And I, I looked at my wife after seeing the three-hour version of the first one. The second one's even worse, as far as I'm concerned. First one, what really gets you, she's just eating Caesar salad and talking about killing babies. Um, second one is more haggling on prices. I said, Moloch has come to town. What are we going to do about Moloch? You know, yes, sir. The Incas threw them off the cliff, yeah. And where are the Incas? One of the greatest mysteries of, the, of uh, history is why did the Aztecs go, why, why did the Incas go, why did they disappear? Hmm. Could be the babies. Be aware. Um, even now, he says, return. Because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. Can we not agree that God is slow to anger? If you were God, how many people would be alive? Right? Now, maybe you're the sweetest person ever lived. Don't doubt it. There are a lot sweeter people on the planet than me, like most of them. But there are times I'm in Walmart and somebody does something to me, and I'm thinking, you know, good thing I'm not God. Because, gone. Right? He hasn't killed me. There's a proof. God is gracious and compassionate. But he's also, this gets frustrating, gracious and compassionate to the people we don't like. Because he loves them too. And he relents. Now how can you relent from sending calamity unless you have made a different decision than the previous one? That would make no sense at all. Unless it's possible for God to change his mind. Had Saul repented as Nineveh had repented, I believe God would have very well changed his mind. But Saul would not repent. Saul gave God no reason to change his mind. In Numbers 22 and 23, I'm not going to put it up there, two big chapters. A weird story. Balaam. Now that was a more interesting story in the King James because it didn't call it a donkey. And I struggle because anytime a Scotsman says donkey, you think of Shrek. <laughs> and I'd rather use the King James word, but then I get in trouble. Can I borrow, is that a King James one? 